This is the Times of London's World in 10. Bank holiday edition today, meaning... Uh, Well, not an awful lot, really. We are still bringing you 10 minutes of content that you can read more about in The Times with me, Toby Gillis, and Eleanor Shearwood. Eleanor, what's coming up? Well, it's Coronation Week. The UK in general, and London in particular, is building towards a very modern celebration for King Charles III. There's hours left on the clock for Hollywood to negotiate a deal with its writers and the World Championship sports final where you could hear a pin drop. You might be able to hear it (laughs) later on. You will be able to hear it. But first, uh, what's the point of this podcast? Well, for me, it's showcasing what The Times is exceptional at. And this story is the sort of journalism that personally would get me taking out a digital subscription at thetimes.co.uk. This is from Jack Blackburn. He's the history correspondent at The Times. And he's written a piece today about how hundreds of British and Commonwealth soldiers are about to be found. It's because the French are building a canal from the Seine through Dunkirk, past the battlefield of the Somme and through Peron, where the Germans launched their spring offensive back in 1918, through Cambrai, where there were two major battles. So basically, right through the Western Front. Yeah, and when excavation work like this is carried out... They're always, it doesn't matter where it is in the world, extremely careful not to damage anything of significance historically, which, well, clearly, given we're talking about the First World War, there will be plenty of on that land. Yeah, here's Jack to explain what they anticipate finding. There were 880,000 British and Commonwealth casualties in the First World War as a whole. Of those, half a million were missing. It is really going straight through the heart of that particularly grim chapter of history. The Commonwealth War Graves Commission are expecting that they will find 700 bodies, maybe. But why does it matter now? Well, I guess firstly, families will get information about ancestors, which perhaps they don't already know. That's that's one reason. And anyone they do find will get a burial with full military honours, which surely they deserve. Yeah, no doubt. But probably on a more general level... It's what we can learn. It may be surprising, given it's 105 years since the Great War ended now, but some of those 700 bodies will be identifiable still. Jack told me how. A lot of bodies just simply didn't survive. What you will get are bodies which are quite well preserved sometimes. Not just that, but also fragments of cloth, maybe, from their uniform or regimental buttons are usually things which will have survived quite well. You may get an indication of a soldier's rank. You might find little personal effects that can help. On one occasion, they were able to identify a body because it was found with some spoons nearby. So things can be around that have persevered through the years and they are the key to starting off the long process of identification. Honestly, Eleanor, I wish I could play the whole interview I did with mm. Jack about this. He, he told me all about soldiers who have been excavated before that helped rewrite what we thought we knew about the war. It's absolutely fascinating. Absolutely. So if you're British or Australian or Indian or from one of the other former colonies of Britain, you genuinely may get a call about a military hero who you mm. knew very little about who might now get the military burial they've deserved for a century. It's always seen as being much easier to be a popular leader on the international stage rather than at home. Think Macron, Trudeau, Johnson, Merkel, Ardern, and the list goes on. But when you're an unelected head of state replacing somebody who was loved so much, Queen Elizabeth II 
you're surely on a hiding to nothing. And yet, as we build towards his coronation, the Times has found King Charles is growing on the British public. A poll a year ago showed 32% of us thought he'd make a good king, but now they've done another one for the Times, and it's up to 62%, a serious improvement. Yeah, but here at The World in 10, we're... We're nothing if not loyal to our overlords, of course, <laughs> the writers and the editors of the Times, but we wanted to make sure there was no cheating going on. I of mean, course. this is the week of the coronation, isn't it? So we can't say anything bad about King Charles, can we? No. Absolutely not. So Eleanor and I conducted our own highly scientific research. We asked a load of people on London Bridge their thoughts. <laughs> If he makes a stand with the environment particularly, I would be more admiring of him. Yeah, I think there's a lot done in the past that's hard to undo. I do remember this incident where, like, Charles was sort of, like, signing something and he sort of, like, started swearing already. He's sort of like, <laughs> he's sort of like he needs to get into his role. I am a Republican. I don't think the royal family is necessary. We can't really say straight away that he's good or bad. We need to invest more and, like... Hopefully he can help the environment and that will get lots of people to like him a lot more. I don't know enough about him. I don't know really why I don't care as much. She was a bit more iconic, weren't she? Yeah, I think just because she was on the throne for so long. I like Prince William, he's a Villa fan and we're from Birmingham. (laughs) (laughs) So we like like him a lot. I'd say that was about two-thirds positive, wasn't it? Yeah, I I reckon so. Pretty representative of what the poll says. Uh, I'd imagine, though, with the pomp and ceremony on its way at the weekend, Eleanor, King Charles III's popularity is only likely to continue to rise. Of course. I mean, I guess, if only, because most of us are going to be in the pub watching it all, of (laughs) course, and then hopefully recovering with that extra day off we've been given. A bank holiday next Monday. Can't wait. Okay, Toby, what's your favourite film? I'm terrible at answering this. I don't watch enough films. Um... (laughs) I'll say Pulp Fiction, just to give you an answer now. Okay, nice. Well, the plot of this one writes itself. For context, we're talking about the threat of a Hollywood writer's strike. Oh, not Pulp Fiction? No, no, no. (laughs) Although that would make an excellent podcast topic. It would. I love it. But the deadline is looming. 11.59 tonight, LA time, for a deal between the Writers Guild of America and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. Mm -hmm. It's a row about pay, basically. Writers want a rise totalling $600 million. Yeah, so the Times has been out there speaking to writers and very on brand. We don't have them on audio, but we do have their quotes written down in the piece. Very good. So Cameron Pasha, he's a veteran writer and says the economics aren't working out. One quote of his in the piece that really stood out to me was, how are you going to pay your mortgage? How are you going to send your kids to school? Because before, writers on hit shows like Friends could make impressive amounts of money per episode, especially ones that had so many viewers. But now the way we watch centres on streaming and it just essentially means a lot of writers are making less money. Yeah, I mean, clearly it's not quite the same as nurses walking out as we've seen in the UK because Mm. we wouldn't see the impact straight away. Um, Some late night TV, I guess take Jimmy Kimmel Live, for example, would go off air. But for the most part, viewers would probably not notice for months because, of course, this is the initial development part. I mean, it could last 10 weeks. Eleanor, can you hear that? If I'm 
being honest, not really. <laughs> yeah, this is the sound of what may be the world's quietest sport. World chat. I don't know why I'm whispering. World Championship <laughs> chess. Uh, it's hardly the high-octane action of the Premier League or NFL. Uh, so quiet, all you can hear are clicking cameras. Ridiculously, you don't even hear that Ding Liren has won the World Championship. His opponent just shakes his hand and silently walks away. I think it's an excellent sport to choose for the podcast then. (laughs) But it is a great story. He's the first man from China to win the World Chess Championship in a sport historically dominated by Europeans and the first new one in a decade. Ding only got into the final after Norway's Magnus Carlsen, who's the five-time world champion, abstained from the tournament. He said he wasn't motivated to defend his title. Yeah, I can see why. Seems too intense to extend a decade at the top. Absolutely. We'll end today with quite an unusual funeral in Spain because they were mourning somebody who died over 400 years ago. There was no body, no relatives, but there was the same sombre atmosphere as they would have been if he died last week. Yeah, this was for Miguel de Cervantes, the author of Don Quixote. Uh, You might be wondering why this funeral was quite so late. Fair enough, we were too, although that's why you read The Times, it tells you. But Mm. it's actually an annual occasion. Although there is one reason the morning here would have been fresh, and it's because he's lost his status as the most translated Spanish language writer to Gabriel García Márquez. The head of the Spanish Academy, which is essentially the guardian of the language, said after the ceremony, nothing better has been written than Don Quixote. Yeah, except everything in the Times, of, of course. course. Yes. Yeah, so if you want to read more of it, take out your digital subscription, and in the meantime, we'll tell you more about it all tomorrow, here on The World in 10. 